Our scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 1, the second half of verse 18 through verse 26. And you can find this on page 980 in the Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. Philippians chapter 1, the second half of verse 18 through verse 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is God's word. Go ahead and be seated. And let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and how it teaches us and instructs us and shapes and molds us. Please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Please give us ears to hear you speaking to us and give us the strength to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To live is Christ and to die is gain. These famous words that the Apostle Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago have since been repeated from the lips of faithful Christians all over the world. For centuries, these faithful Christians have clung to this mantra for their comfort in their moments of greatest joy and moments of deep despair, wholehearted devotion to Christ in life or in death, in whatever circumstances come, a Christ-centered life. Perhaps you've met someone like this who lives in this way for Christ and Christ alone, a friend or a mentor a coworker or a neighbor, a brother or a sister, someone who lives for Christ with almost reckless abandon. There's nothing the world can do with a person who lives like that. Someone who has joy, no matter the circumstances. Someone who honors Christ in everything that they do. It's infectious, isn't it? When we know someone like that, it spurs us on to live for Christ as well. But how do we live that kind of life? How is it possible for us to live like that? With so many things that vie for our attention and our affections, we often find ourselves living for something other than Christ at the center. Or perhaps at best we live a Christ plus something else life, which of course is not a Christ-centered life at all. We get so easily distracted and misaligned from Christ being at the center and we miss out on the joy that it is to live the Christ-centered life. So how do we live this way? And what does it look like to live in that way? It all starts with the foundation of our faith. 
our salvation in Christ. As we'll see in Philippians 1 this morning, we can find salvation and joy and life in Christ and in Christ alone. When we do that, we can indeed live this kind of Christ-centered life, one that's fully devoted to him, facing whatever circumstances come our way with hope and expectation of Christ being glorified. A certainty of our salvation leads to a Christ-centered way of living. Since we can have certainty in our salvation, we can live a Christ-centered life. And so we'll see first that we can have a Christ-centered certainty, a certain salvation and an eager expectation that Christ is our deliverance from sin and death. We can have joy no matter the circumstances that we're in, no matter what we face, because we are certain that Christ is our life. And when we have this kind of Christ-centered certainty, we can indeed live a Christ-centered life. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Because Christ is life, and because death is gain, there is hope in death and meaning in life. Since we have certainty in our salvation, we can live a Christ-centered life. So first, a Christ-centered certainty The Christian has both a certain salvation and an eager expectation. Verses 18 and 20. Yes, and I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's joy rings out loud and clear, yes, and I will rejoice. In the previous verses, Paul said he rejoiced because the gospel was advancing, and now he rejoices because he has certainty in his salvation. In fact, he says that all of this will turn out for my deliverance. He's writing from prison, and he's certainly referring to all of the suffering that he's facing And he's convinced that his time there in prison and all of the difficulties that he's facing, all of the present circumstances are not wasted time. There's no doubt in his mind. In fact, he sees these present circumstances as playing a role in his deliverance. And while he does expect to be released from prison, the the following verses seem to show that that's at least his hope. The deliverance that he's putting so much confidence in is not release from prison, but ultimate salvation and deliverance from sin and death. His salvation in Christ. His present circumstances, even finding himself there in prison, all of his sufferings and trials, they're working for his good. They're working for his salvation. And Paul was confident that his present circumstances in prison would shape him and mold him to become more and more like Jesus. It's the same kind of reality that that Paul speaks to in Romans chapter 5. He says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul knew that his present circumstances would only serve to deliver him. But he needed help. 
And so he pleads with his Philippian brothers and sisters to pray for him as he trusts in the Holy Spirit's help. Earlier in this very chapter, in in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul had prayed for, for these brothers and sisters. He said that it was his prayer that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prayed for them, And now he turns it around and says, now you pray for me too. It's through their prayers for the Spirit's help, the Spirit's supply, the Spirit's presence in their life, in his life, that he will be delivered. Christ himself lives in believers through his Spirit. And this was Paul's hope for deliverance. What a Christ-centered certainty it is to be supplied with the Holy Spirit. Paul knows his salvation is certain and a hope, it's a hope that will not put him to shame. How could he do anything but rejoice? And for us today as well, how important it is for us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would know Christ more and more, that they would follow Christ more and more, that they would be filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, that whatever circumstances they're facing, would turn out for their deliverance. It's something we all need to be a part of. The body of Christ coming together in determined prayer for other believers. What a powerful thing that is. As E.M. Bounds puts it, units of prayer combined like drops of water make an ocean which defies resistance. How necessary is the body in prayer? We need to be praying for the spiritual growth of others. I found that, that Paul's prayer from Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is a great place to start. Pray it for the people in your life, for your husband or for your wife, for your roommates, for the people in your small group, for your pastors and your elders, for your children, for your coworkers, for your neighbors. Who has the Lord put in your life that you could pray this kind of prayer for? Pray that these people would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would keep a hold of the salvation that they have in Christ. A certain salvation and also an eager expectation. Paul has an eager expectation in verse 20 that he will not be at all ashamed, but that Christ will be honored. Paul is confident, he's certain that on the last day, on that final day, he will have been found to be faithful. He has known the suffering, he has known the endurance, the character, and the hope that will not put him to shame. Throughout the New Testament, hope is not an unsure thing, it's a certain thing. And we hope for what we do not yet have, trusting that it will indeed come to pass. And Paul's hope, his certainty, is in Christ. And he has no reason to waver. His singular desire, his his one goal is that Christ will be honored, that Christ will be exalted, that Christ will be glorified. His goal is to make much of Christ. And he expects to do this with full courage, 
now as always. Ever since his journey on the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, when he was changed forever, he has not stopped boldly proclaiming the gospel of his salvation in Christ. He knew the deliverance that he had in Christ, and he wanted the world to know. In his body, whether by life or by death, whatever the circumstances, Paul wanted to make much of Christ. This was his eager expectation, and so even prison could not stop him from proclaiming the gospel of his salvation in Christ alone. He had a Christ-centered certainty. A certain salvation and an eager expectation. The Christian can be confident in this salvation that he or she has in Christ. And so the question for us this morning is, have you taken a hold of this salvation? Maybe you're in church for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time. Or maybe you come to church all the time, but there's something inside of you this morning that says, I want that certainty. I want that salvation. Well, the good news for you today is that the certainty that Paul had in his his salvation can be yours as well, even this morning. And so put your hope in Christ alone for your salvation. He came to earth as a man. He took the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And if you put your hope in Christ alone this morning, you can have this certain salvation. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and grab a hold of this Christ-centered certainty. And if you are a Christian this morning, if you have put your trust and your hope in Christ alone, know that your salvation is certain. You can have confidence in it. Whatever the circumstances are that you're facing, whatever difficulties you're in the midst of, no matter what they are, they will not serve to separate you from the love of Christ, but only draw you closer. It will turn out for your deliverance. So don't give up. Don't give in. Know that because of Christ, you will not at all be ashamed, but that Christ will be honored because we have a Christ-centered certainty. A Christ-centered certainty and a Christ-centered life. It's because of the certainty that we can have in our salvation that we can live a Christ-centered life. And we know that life is Christ and death is gain. And so, therefore, we can know that there is hope in death and meaning in life. So first, life is Christ and death is gain. Verses 21 to 24 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul is very candid here as he looks at these two options of life and death, release and life or, or staying in prison and eventually being executed. And it's not as if he really gets to choose. That's up to God alone. But if he could choose, 
Well, it's not so easy. He's hard-pressed between these two options, and there are benefits of both remaining and departing. To remain would mean fruitful work, fruitful ministry, the opportunity to continue to preach and spread the gospel and to magnify Christ. But to depart would mean to be with Christ. Both of of these options have meaningful ends, yet Paul knows he cannot choose. It's up to God alone. But it's the certainty in his salvation that he has that allows him to say that regardless of the circumstances he's facing, regardless of the suffering he is enduring, that with full confidence in verse 21, he can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Looking back to that day on the Damascus Road, when Christ became his life, Paul knew that if that he had added everything up that was gain in his former life and, and he had found it wanting. As he puts it in Philippians chapter 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To live Christ to die, gain. Christ is worth more than all the treasures of the world combined. They're loss compared to the gain of Christ. And when you have a certain salvation, you know that neither death nor life can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life is a wonderful thing. It's the chance to live for Christ, to grow in Christ, to honor Christ, to make much of Christ. But death? Death means the chance to stand in the very presence of our Savior. To live? Christ. To die? Gain. What is your ultimate measure of gain? Is it Christ? Or is it something else? All too often, things other than Christ can become what are most important to us. Living is for those things, and dying would then be a loss of those things. For me, to live is having security, and to die would be a loss of that. For me, to live is to have all of my things and possessions, and to die would be to lose it all. For me, to live is to have my freedom and independence, and to die would be a loss. Is Christ your ultimate measure of gain, or is it something else? The Christ-centered life says, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Christ alone. When we know that Christ is, that life is Christ and death is gain, we can understand that there is hope in death and meaning in life. And so the, the Christ-centered life gives us hope in death. And so perhaps, strangely enough, the result of Paul's wrestling between these two options is that if he got to choose life or death, He would choose death. In verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And in many ways, this might seem strange to us. 
How can Paul say that death is far better than life? We celebrate youth. We do anything we can to stave off the end of life. We do whatever we can to look younger than our age or to feel younger than we are. But here, Paul says that it's far better to depart this life for the Christian because it means the fulfillment of the Christian's lifelong hope of knowing Christ. His certain hope of salvation gives him the confidence to say, as he does elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The victory of Christ over sin and death gives us ultimate certainty and ultimate hope. Maybe you don't think about death very much. Or on the other hand, maybe death is on the very forefront of your mind. Certainly was for Paul. But because of his confidence in Christ for his salvation, he could confidently say that death is gain, for it is far better to be with Christ. This does not mean that the pain of death is all gone for us here on earth. Surely when we lose someone close to us, it is a loss. It's painful, and we grieve, and rightly so. The fact that the Christian who has departed this life is experiencing the presence of Christ does not diminish the loss that we feel when we mourn. It is good and right that we grieve and mourn. Yes, we grieve, but not without hope. Because for the Christian, death means that they leave behind the uncertainties of this life and enter into the very presence of Christ. The Christ-centered life gives us hope in death. It gives us hope in death, and the Christ-centered life also gives us meaning in life. And this is perhaps the most shocking and surprising part of this whole passage right here at the very end. Paul's already expressed the uncertainty of his present circumstances and not knowing what will happen to him. But he's also talked about how his preference is for death. It's it's better by far because he gets to be with Christ. It's the choice he would make if he got to choose. But he says that this preference for death is ultimately not what he would do. Verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He'll remain and continue in ministry or at least that's what he would do if he got to choose his life's passion and desire to know Christ to to be with Christ he's willing to give it up but why why would he give up what's most dear to him it's because he knows that the Christ-centered life puts others interests in front of his own I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. It's not about him, it's about them. Saying no to his desire and yes to their good. 
Paul has a role to play in these Christians' spiritual growth. And what a wonderful gospel reality this is. That for the Christian, there's not only hope in death, but there's meaning in life. Our lives are not just meaningless wastes of time before we get to be with Jesus. No, the Christian's life has incredible meaning and purpose. To live is Christ. And so Paul will continue for the Philippians' progress and joy in the faith. This progress refers to their growth in Christ, and the joy refers to their experience of Christ. And Paul wants them to have both, to deepen their growth and their experience of Christ. And this is the deep meaning that the Christian life can bring. If we found joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get the wonderful chance, the the wonderful opportunity to help others grow in Christ and to experience him more and more and more. And so the challenge for us is clear. Put the spiritual growth of other Christians first. Choose to deny yourself for the good of others. As Paul puts it, In Philippians chapter 2, he says, count others more significant than yourselves. We need to make the gospel growth of others a priority. With our time, with our money, with our gifts and abilities, with our love and our affection, we ought to put the good of others first to help them grow in Christ. What could it look like for you to give up yourself for the good of others' spiritual growth? This is what it looks like to live the Christ-centered life. I'm reminded of the story of John G. Patton, who was a missionary in the mid-1800s who went to the New Hebrides Islands in the Pacific Ocean. Previous missionaries who had gone to these islands faced incredible difficulty and incredible adversity in their missionary efforts there. The the first missionaries who went there were killed and eaten by cannibals. And so when Patton was about to depart for these islands, he faced a lot of criticism for going there. One person, a certain Mr. Dixon, um, warned him. He said, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Patton's response Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of of our risen Redeemer. A certain salvation, a hope in death, a meaning in life. To live, Christ. To die, gain. Since we have certainty in our salvation, we can indeed live a Christ-centered life. This Christ-centered certainty is confidence that our salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. So no matter the circumstances that we face, we can be certain that our salvation is in Christ. 
And a Christ-centered certainty leads to a Christ-centered life. There is hope in death and meaning in life. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Confident in Christ. Making much of Christ. Serving those who follow Christ. What freedom and joy there is in the Christ-centered life. As the hymn puts it, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Lord, please make us more and more and more into the people who can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ and the confidence that we can have. Please help us to grow in that confidence more and more and more. And please empower us by your spirit to live a Christ-centered life, one that looks not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Please help us, Lord. Please help us to live for Christ and for Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.